this time, I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. Make that 18. 1 Kings 18, it's been quite a bit of time since we have been talking about Elijah. Um, between my taking time off to be with my the newest additions of my family and caring for Elizabeth and Sammy and some of the current events. And so this will be right after the, the climax at Mount Carmel and Elijah's prayer to bring rain. We'll read verses, we'll start with 36. I, I want to see the want us to read Elijah's prayer again in the challenge at Mount Carmel and go through the end of the chapter. I'm going to make one comment ahead of time because I, I'm not going to address it in the, in the, the sermon. And it, it is a little odd. There is a part where Elijah races Ahab in his chariot and seems to run ahead of him. And I don't see another way to really take this, but that he's supernaturally empowered to do this. Elijah's probably running at 20 miles an hour at a sustained pace for 17 miles. What is going on there? It's hard to know, but here is what, as I look at the commentators, what I think may be happening. Elijah shows quite a bit of care to Ahab, who is very half-heartedly drifting away from the Lord. And what used to happen is that when someone in a chariot who was a a VIP would come into an area, they would have footmen that would go before them, kind of as heralds, as, as an escort of honor. It was showing honor and distinction to this person. And so it is perhaps possible as Elijah is running before Ahab, A, he's, he is showing him a, a sense of honor, as, but also a sense of, if you follow the Lord, we can work together. I can be the prophet, uh, announcing God's will uh, and, and heralding your rule as you follow him, and you can carry it out. So I actually take this as an invitation um, to this drifting king to come back to follow the Lord. Well, let us read now. First uh, Kings 18, starting at verse 36, where Elijah prays. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, 
Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is God's word. Please pray with me. O Lord, would you give us a boldness, and a confidence in prayer. Would you give us a delight as we have the opportunity to seek and enjoy you in prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you read through the chapters of Elijah's life, and Kings does slow down to spend a lot of time there, he gets to do some incredible things things. And you might ask kids, wouldn't it be nice to be like Elijah? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to make uh, water or oil and, and, and flour just continue to come out of a jar to feed a family that was starving? Would, wouldn't it be neat if you could raise up a son who had died from the widow? Wouldn't it be awesome to make those stand against those 450 prophets and ask God to call down fire from heaven and it happens? That'd be pretty neat, wouldn't it? Well, in one sense, you can. Do you remember what James said as we were reading James 5? James said that Elijah was a man just like us. Now, he's not saying you and I are exactly like Elijah. Elijah was a special person that he was a prophet in a special role in a specific time in God's salvation history. And we should not expect God to work in the same way as he did for Elijah. But James says that you and Elijah are not so far apart as you might think. And in fact, when he says in verse 17, Elijah was a man just like us, or ESV says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, the NIV says Elijah was a man just like us, this, this Greek word that compares Elijah and, and us is worth exploring. It it only happens one other time in the Bible. It's the book of Acts, Acts 14, 15. And that's where Paul and Barnabas, they've, they've gone into a city, they've healed a crippled man, and now the people are starting to worship them as gods. Right? They're taking their eyes off of the God who actually did the healing and then saying, these two men are the gods that have come down and they are worshiping them. And Paul says, stop, what are you doing? Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. So you could really just paraphrase what James is saying is, Elijah was a person. Elijah was a human being, just like us. He he wasn't anything special. He didn't have any special powers. He had the same limitations as you or I do. 
you know, it's very easy to idolize people, right? We, we had, uh, I watched with a lot of joy, our, our nation launched astronauts into space last month, right? With NASA and SpaceX, they launched two astronauts. And it, it was incredible to watch these two determined individuals who have devoted their entire lives to, to training and, and getting to this spot. Right. In many ways, astronauts are, are the cream of the crop, men and women who excel and, and then work hard to be put into space. They're special. But do you know what? They're still human. They're just people like us. And, and, and on their own, they can't get into space. They need that rocket just as much as we would. Right. So, yeah, there's there's something that, that's outstanding about them, but they're not any different than we are in the same way, a little bit different, but, but analogous, Elijah was a special person with a special role given by God. God used him in a special way. But God, but he at the same time was just like us. And James' point is this. Both you and Elijah are limited beings. And guess what? Although God might work differently now, you have the same access through prayer to the power that Elijah had. And so here's the idea of the sermon today. God uses your prayers to work his plan. God uses his prayers to work his plan. And what we're going to see is that prayer is first in a relationship with God, where he proves your limitations, your inabilities, but graciously works through you. So let's look at this. Prayer is a relationship with God. And you see this very clearly as you look at the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Right? Elijah lets them go first to show how utterly useless and pointless Baal was. But these prophets, you've got to hand it to them. They were dedicated. Right? They were truly religious people. Uh, they called out. They danced for hours. They cut themselves. You know, a lot of people today would say, you know, it just there's got to be more than one God because... There are so many people who believe different things so sincerely. They're so sincere in their faith. But there's no answer. And in fact, what you see driving them is behind their actions, they thought they could manipulate their God to get what they wanted. If, if I just say the right words, perform the right rituals, do the right actions, then I'll get the desired response that I want. This is really the root idea behind the sorcery and magic um, that goes on. Do you know why the Bible condemns sorcery and witches? I mean, our, our nation has a, a kind of a checkered past. And, uh, Christians that really believed some unfortunate and sometimes silly things with the Salem witch trials that got out of hand. But, but biblically, in the Old Testament, it condemns sorcery and witchcraft and magic. Do you know why? Gerhardus Voss, a theologian from the 20th century, early 20th century, wrote a book called Biblical Theology, which I read as a young man. And I remember reading in my 20s this quote that stuck out at me as he's talking about the Old Testament laws. He says, the magic is that paganistic reversal of the process of religion in which man, instead of letting himself be used by God for the divine purposes, drags down his God to the level of a tool which he uses for his own selfish purpose. 
Right, so what, what Voss is saying there is God has created us to reflect his image, to go out and to accomplish his will. God allows us to become part of his story, enter his plan, and he gives us the privilege of doing his will. What magic does is say, no, no, God, I want to use you for my purpose, my plan. I want to manipulate you to get me to do, to do what I want. Right? See, it's turning it all upside down. It's turning it into kind of a, a mechanistic crank where God becomes a genie to get you what you want. Right? So what makes magic arts then so bad is you're really trying to bend the world and God to your will rather than conforming yourself to God's will both in your prayers and your actions. And of course we can do this as well today. Right? I'll pray to God to get what I want. If I say the right things and if I read scripture at the right time... Uh, so and so, God, why haven't you blessed me? But of course, you know from your own experience and you can see from the, the prophets of Baal, this is utterly exhausting. Right? It, it takes God from being your, your personal loving father to a system to be exploited and it's all up to you to get it right. But when Elijah prays, you can see he enters into conversation with one who has a special as one who has a special relationship with God. He approaches God in a way that you can tell he knows and he loves him and he adores him. Right? He he talks about the names you Lord Yahweh, the covenant name, you are God. You are the one who is alone God. You can can see the awe and the the greatness and the he he, he sees God. He's he's very formal in a way. Uh, he 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 puts a distance between himself and God. He has a proper understanding. But also, notice that Elijah does not here give a theological treatment of the doctrine of God. There's time in prayer to go deep and to, to delve into who God is, but you don't have to necessarily. Here, he comes to God and simply claims who he is, enjoys him. And yet, even though there's that distance, that creator-creature distinction, Elijah realizes that he's not God. There's this intimacy, too, you can see in Elijah's prayers. He references that special relationship that God has, the promises he's made to Israel, his, his exclusive covenants. Right? You are Yahweh. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. This is who you are. You are not a distant deity. You are the one who have rescued us from Egypt. There's a way that you can see Elijah's prayers personal. When he built the altar, he took Ten stones, each representing the tribes of Israel. Right? That's especially striking because at this point, Israel is divided ten two. Ten tribes in the north where Elijah is and two tribes in the south. And yet, he is bringing all of Israel, God's special people, before him and asking him to turn their hearts back. Now, this isn't a system he's praying to. This is the intimate God who saved and redeemed his people in the past. You can also see the personal relationship in the faith Elijah has. He prays knowing who God is and expecting him to do great things. Now, of course, Elijah does have a different vantage point than we do because God told him in the beginning of the chapter, I'm going to send rain. So Elijah knows that's going to happen. But man, the stakes are high. In verse 40, Elijah executes all the false prophets after the Lord has answered his sacrifice. But can you imagine what would have happened to Elijah if God had not answered him? 
Deuteronomy 18 states that if a prophet makes claims and they don't come to pass, you know he's not a false prophet. Elijah is outnumbered 450 to 1. Can you imagine, if even if it was a draw, if it was Baal 0, Yahweh 0, there would be a good chance that Elijah would not have walked out of there alive. But in faith, he knows God will come through. He proposes a contest on a mountain that was thought of Baal's territory using fire, which was thought to be Baal's uh, bailiwick. Uh, he was giving Baal all the advantages with his life on the line. That's faith. And then he makes it more difficult. He makes God's job harder. Take more water and throw it on just so that you know it's not an accident. And when Elijah prays then, whether it's calling down fire, calling for rain, raising the widow's dead son, or simply talking with God, you see it comes out of a deep faith that shows his relationship with this covenant God. And though Elijah can do all these incredible things, remember what James says. At the same time, Elijah can't do any of these things on his own. Elijah does hardly anything in his ministry except talk and pray. Prayer, then, is also a time when God proves your inability. Right? I don't know about you, but this is important for me to hear right now because we have the blessings of technology and increasing amounts of treasure troves of knowledge and wisdom and technique. We just talked about how we put astronauts into orbit again. And it's, it's mind-bending, but we, we're going to have a mission to the moon and possibly within this decade, people on Mars. It's ambitious, but that's the goal. And it's, right? I mean, it's, it becomes easier and easier to think that in this time when we have seemingly unlimited possibilities, we're going to have neural implants that, that may allow people who are quadriplegic to walk within the next five to ten years. It's just to think that anything is possible for us. Maybe even immortality. Just give science enough time. Just give the engineers enough time to figure it out. But believe it or not, this is getting close to magic again. There was a famous saying of a science fiction writer, Arthur Clarke. He says, Any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. You see, if we start putting our faith in our technology, all of a sudden, mm, we're not really all that different from the ancients who were trying to control the world with magic. And the root of modern unbelief, one of the commentators on this passage said, This position of mastery over the world has deluded modern people into trusting their own capacity to achieve all human ends and has promoted a sense of independence and self-sufficiency to which prayer is alien. Why do I need to pray when we can fly to the moon? Right? Because I can transform the world. I can do almost anything. And yet, we can't. We still have COVID, we still have racial tensions and injustice, and much more. You see, God puts us in a place where we need to pray to remind you that you can't do anything apart from Him. Now, if you think about prayer and the things about that we pray for, you might have the question, well, 
you know, what about the times that I pray for things that, humanly speaking, I can do? I, I ask God for food when I have food in the fridge. I, have, there's, I can go to the supermarket. I, I make a living for which I can buy my groceries. You may remember, it's maybe even a month ago now, or a little longer, where New York Governor Andrew Cuomo was talking about how, finally, wonderfully, the numbers for COVID were dropping in the New York area. And this is what he said. The number is down because we brought the number down. God did not do that. Faith did not do that. End quote. Right? He said, we're the one that did it, not God. So, so, and, and you could point, he pointed to a lot of precautions and measures that, that we took as human beings, as, as agents and actors. So what do you make of that? Well, we do need to remind, remember that God has made you and me responsible agents in life. And he has given us power to do certain things. For us to pray and then be inactive is also dishonoring to him. Right? And so it's true that we can take measures to curb the coronavirus. We can develop spaceships and rocket ships that may send humans to the moon and, and Mars in the coming years. But at the same time, God is the one through whom all things, as we would say in our confession, come to pass. He holds the world together. He is the one who has sovereignly planned everything from the very beginning. He's the one who gives you the ability to live and do what you do right now. And so it is right for you to pray, to ask God to help you, even in your everyday tasks. One person put it this way. To say that God didn't do this, the coronavirus, misses the point. That God is in control of everything, yet uses humans who freely work. If one were to say what was necessary to make a bicycle, the response would be something like this. Tires, brake pads, a chain, a metal frame, the skill of a builder, perhaps a schematic to go with the building process. No one would ever be tempted to respond as follows. Tires, brake pads, a chain, God, a metal frame, the skill of a builder. And yet, any religious person, upon finishing the construction of that bike, would quite legitimately say, thank God. Right? Because we know that God is behind it all. He's giving us the ability, the very life, to carry out the risk-mitigating measures as we go. And so we acknowledge that. And we always, you can also realize that if in your pride you say, I can do this by myself, thank you very much. He can remove your skill. He can remove your health at any time. So what that means is that even in your ordinary work, you should take it before the Lord. You, you should ask him for your life and breath. You should ask him for success. You should ask him for ultimate impact, that he will take the everyday actions that you do and make it part of his plan. But here's the funny thing for us Christians today, I think. I think we pray to God more for the things that we can do than the things that we can't do. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think it's, it's easier and more comfortable to pray to God for the, the food that's on our table, um, to plead a job that I know I can do, humanly speaking, um, to, to heal someone's sickness that, that looks like it's going to be healed by normal courses, than for something that you really can't do on your own. 
Now, as I said, it, it is important for us to acknowledge God's hand in all things and, and even what we would consider the humanly possible pray for his blessing and his guidance. But I think it's scarier to pray for things that are beyond your control in every way. I think this is especially because we live in a, in a first world contemporary situation. You think about much of history when people prayed the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. They, they weren't spiritualizing it and saying, Lord, well, we know that we need all things from you, our life and breath, and we need spiritual vitality. They were saying, Lord, feed us today because we may not know how much food we're going to get today. So our questions are very different. Will I get what I want to eat today? What do I want to eat today? So how do you pray like Elijah when God puts you in a situation where you can't humanly do anything to affect the change? How do we do that, right? Well, that's a challenge to us because in so many ways, we know that if God doesn't come through, I think there's still a way we can make it work. But you know, sometimes God will put you in that situation where there's nothing you can do. And all you can do is rely on him. You can think about our own family a year ago. You know, the Lord has blessed us with children through embryo adoption. We had only a, a certain amount of embryos that were healthy enough to transfer. Three transfers worth. And the first one we had Sam. And we were so grateful for that and so overjoyed. And, and so looking forward to the second one. And um, I thought Elizabeth was pregnant. And she wasn't. And so now I started to think, well, is this it? We only have one more try. And I remember the days going uh, before the transfer, uh, during the time, waiting for the test. There was nothing I could do. Now, all of a sudden, magic seems a little bit more attractive. Lord, is there any way I can bargain with you? Is there, is there a way that if I do something, you'll guarantee this result? No. And at that time, what, what can you do? But, but you go back to the goodness of God that regardless of what his answer is, he has your best in mind. That it takes you back to the cross. That you can't earn your salvation. You can't shape and mold your life, no matter what it is. It's, it's a very personal example. Not many people would experience that. But it, you know, it can be losing your job. Or, or a sickness that, that severely threatens your health or even your life. And you've done your best, humanly speaking. You have been that responsible agent. And at the end of the time, you're simply at the end of your rope. And you're out of control. You're, you have no control. And you sit before the Lord in silence. And you seek Him in prayer. Prayer shows your inability. And Elijah's prayer here should also draw you up into a place where we know we can't influence the ultimate outcome. The bigger kingdom focus of God when we pray that your kingdom comes. Right? Elijah's as God's prophet, is praying that God will work signs and wonders to show that he is God. We can't do that. We can't call down fire from heaven to prove that God is God today. That's, that, that was a specific time for a specific place. But what you and I can learn from this is 
a kingdom-oriented focus that you would pray that God's kingdom would come. Right? Pray for the salvation of those in your circle of influence. Uh, pray not just release from the pestilence or the peace in our cities that, that would return to peace, but, but pray that God would use this time of COVID and, and, and racial discussion and as a way to bring people to Christ and to make His kingdom come in. You pray for those who are sick to bring the testimony of Jesus into the hospital where they are treated. It's, it's scary to pray beyond your control because God may say no. He may know better. But you know, it is, all, it is also an incredible privilege knowing that sometimes God, He has decided already that He will use your powerful and bold prayers to bring about His good will in this world. You get to be part of something you couldn't do on your own. You get to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. And he says, yes. You see, there is a time that God graciously works through you. But it can require patience. If you think about the way God answers these two prayers of Elijah, the one for fire and the one for rain, it's a bit odd, isn't it? In the previous, in the first one, Elijah calls down fire from heaven and God answers immediately, spectacularly, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then it all calms down and, and people go away and Elijah talks to Ahab, King Ahab, and then he goes and prays for rain. He sends a servant to look at the sea. Nothing happens. And he goes again. Nothing happens. And it's only on the seventh time after Elijah has been wrestling in prayer before the Lord that he begins to see the fruition of the thing that God promised at the very beginning of the story. Now, why is it that, that God answered his prayer right away once, but not another time? It's a mystery, isn't it? Well, God is showing how he works in different ways through limited creatures. Sometimes it is right away. But often, even when God's answer is yes, he uses your persistent prayers to work his grace. But he still desires that you ask for it. That, That you seek him with faith and with trust in treating him. You still have to ask for him. That brings us back to James's point. God works through prayer. It's the same prayer that God used to grant Elijah the ability to withhold rain and then to bring it. And you know that you have access to that too because Elijah is a person just like us. I want to make sure that you think just a little bit as we close about this power, the source of our power. It's... It's not that you can just pray like Elijah, but remember that prayer is first a relationship with God. It's not finally about who you pray like, but to whom you pray. Remember, we pray to our personal creator, redeemer, God, but also the one who came down in the flesh. Jesus as the God-man who cried out to God in prayer. There's the mystery of Elijah and us, how God uses limited human beings, but the mystery deepens in the incarnation as we think about prayer. Because Jesus, as a, in his human nature, he relied on God as prayer. But as a divine being, 
he answers prayer. There's mystery in his own life. Sometimes he would pray and ask the Father to make something happen, feeding the 5,000. There's other times he is completely different than Elijah. Elijah, when he raises someone from the dead, stretches himself out, prays three times, cries out to God. Jesus goes down to the little girl who's died and just says, Honey, it's time to get up. And as with much effort as it would take for me to, to shake Sammy and wake him up from his nap a little early, he pulls this girl right out of the grave. You see, because he's our God. And he's the high priest to whom we pray. You see, we can have confidence praying like Elijah because the greater Elijah has come. He's shown both how to wholly rely as a human on God's grace and also as God in the flesh, how he answers prayer. And he says this incredible thing that somehow what we do is even more impressive. This is what Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, verses 12. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Jesus is not saying here that what we will be doing is more impressive than what he did. But it's greater because the Father will answer incredible prayers through helpless people. That's what makes it so astounding. That's you and me. And that's why we pray. God uses your prayers to work his plan. And so this week, take your prayers to God. Not as a genie to make your life easier or or a magic where you, you pray the right way to get the right result, but as the God who has promised to be your God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, Creator and Redeemer. Enjoy him in prayer this week as you pour out your heart to him. Pray with me now. Father, there is great mystery in your sovereign plan and how you delight to use us. Some of it we don't understand. Some of it we may not even understand in eternity. But we do know that you give us the privilege of both acting out your will, acting in accordance with your will, and praying that you would do things not only through our actions but beyond what we could imagine. And so we ask now that you would give us big hearts, bold hearts, to approach you in prayer. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.